0: We'd like to turn this morning to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. We had considered in previous weeks the kingdom of heaven, and we looked at a lot of Jesus' teachings of the kingdom of heaven and parables that were pointing toward the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was pr- trying to prepare his apostles with a concept, with, with an understanding of what was to come. So, that they had some degree of understanding when we're going to see in the book of Acts we see that the expansion and the growth of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and we've tried to consider that together and, and focus on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven that came during the ministry of Jesus Christ and then expanded throughout the whole world during the ministry of the apostles and as we begin a new year here with this being the first Sunday and the first day of a new year in 2023. I believe it's appropriate for us to make sure that we have our priorities realigned, right? We need to meditate on things we've done good in the past year and things that we could do a little bit better and and try to have the right focus and the right emphasis as we embark on a new year. So here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, which is our memory verse for this coming month, and I hope you already knew this verse, but if you don't, I hope you can commit to learning it and more than that, meditate on it. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So here in the context, Jesus is admonishing his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount to not be concerned about your life. Don't be concerned about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or clothing or raiment. God takes care of the birds. He takes care of the fowls of the air, right? He takes care of the lilies of the field. And if God takes care of his creation that he saw fit to give life unto, but he doesn't love them, right? I mean, God did not send his son to die for birds or plants, right? He's, as a good creator, he sustains the life of animal creatures and animal creation, and he sustains life of plants and flowers. But he doesn't love them. So if, he, if he's that good to, to just components of his creation, then obviously he's, if he cares for the basic necessities of just the birds of the air, then obviously he's going to provide even more so for his children of God, for his his chosen children, but especially those children that put the kingdom first. And we, we it's very difficult for us to relate to this in the prosperity of America, but during the first century, if you put the kingdom first, you know, when he sent, uh, those disciples out a couple chapters later uh, in Matthew chapter 10 for that first time he said look you're going to go into a city and don't take anything with you don't take any food with you don't take a change of clothes with you and when you show up in that city you preach the gospel and if somebody receives you you go into their house and they're going to take care of you and if they don't receive you you shake off your feet and you go to the next uh, go to the next city but Understand, especially these apostles, they were committing to not necessarily knowing where that week's worth of food is going to come from, right? That was part of discipleship in the first century. And part of putting the kingdom first in the first century, especially in Jerusalem, that if you confessed Christ, then you would be ostracized and cast out of the synagogue, which is not just that you can't show up to public worship on the Sabbath day, that's going to hinder your ability to buy and sell goods to provide for your family, okay? So I want you to understand that we don't have as much context here as these first century Christians have, that if you really put the kingdom of God first and foremost, uh, here in America, you know, you may need to seek another job that doesn't pay as much or maybe you may need to defer a promotion if it would compromise your integrity or something like that. And those are the kind of things that we may sacrifice for the kingdom. But I don't know too many people that are truly having to put the kingdom first and not know how you're going to provide for your family. But that was the environment of the first century, okay? So that's, that's the significance of this statement that if you really put the kingdom first and you join the church and you profess Christ— and you deal with all the ramifications of that then there will be natural struggles that you're going to have to trust God in the midst of but the spiritual riches far outweigh those natural struggles okay so he gives the promise he gives a promise to his disciples that if you put the kingdom of God first and foremost and his righteousness God's going to take care of his children right God's going to take care of his people and We always need to read verse 34 in association with that. Therefore, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, right? Don't be living in fear and in burden of what might happen tomorrow. No, redeem the time today to the best of your ability to seek the kingdom of God first and foremost, and God will provide for his people that put the kingdom first, So, what we would like to do this morning, and Lord willing, in the weeks to come, is continue to focus on the kingdom of heaven and to go to the book of Acts and look at the expansion and the growth and the establishment of the kingdom of heaven coming in this world. And if we seek the kingdom of God first and foremost, then we need to know what the kingdom of God looks like. Okay? We need to know what it looks like in action. Now, what we've considered together already in the kingdom of heaven <clears throat> is an overview and parables for Jesus setting the stage and setting the concepts for the apostles to know how they should act in the kingdom. Okay, But the book of Acts is now the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in action, okay? So, we are the primitive Baptist church, and I hope you know that primitive means original, right? So we're the original Baptist church. So therefore, if we hold the truce of the original Baptist church, and we hope to be the, Expression of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven here in this world, then the book of Acts is our pattern for how the kingdom of God should function, right? In action, in action. So therefore, especially beginning this year, as we strive to improve our personal discipleship and, and make goals for what we can do better, I hope that we can look at the book of Acts and God's pattern for the kingdom of God And I think we're going to see here God's pattern for a thriving kingdom, a thriving kingdom. And I know that we all desire for the kingdom of God to grow and to thrive. That should be at the forefront of our prayers, right? The model prayer, after we get done extolling and approaching God in worship, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, at the very front of our mind should be the expansion of the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, even before we get to asking for our daily bread, which by the way, doesn't that get the order correct? That if you seek first the kingdom, God's gonna provide all these things for you, right? In our prayer life, we should say, Lord, advance your kingdom and use me to advance your kingdom. And if you do that, I know you're gonna take care of my daily bread because you promised me that you would. So the book of Acts sets the standard. It sets the bar for us to strive towards in the kingdom of God. And one verse I'd like to highlight, especially again this year as we are beginning a new year and being reminded of the priority of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> in Psalm chapter 27, David, the psalmist, says, One thing have I desired of the Lord. So what's that one thing? What's that one thing that's your, that's your focus and your, your desire in your hopefully your entire life? But especially to have at the forefront of your mind as we embark on a new year. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. So I want it, it's my desire, it's the burden of my heart, but also I know that my feet need to need to back up that desire too. I'm gonna seek after it. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, if you'll allow me to use some New Testament language. David is saying, my desire is that I may dwell in the kingdom of God all the days of my life. And where are you gonna see the king most clearly, right? You're gonna see the king most clearly in the kingdom. And where are you going to have the best vision of the king? When you're closer to the king, right? So you need to be in the kingdom, but don't don't dwell uh, out on the outskirts in Issachar or or uh, Benjamin. Well, no, you need to be in the capital, right? You need to be in the king's city because we have the privileges to be like Mephibosheth and come and and dine at the at the king's table, and that should be our desire to dwell in the house of the Lord, to dwell in the kingdom of heaven all the days of my life. Because that's where you're going to see the beauty of the Lord and feel his presence manifested. So as the church together, we hopefully can examine and, and look at the, the functioning and the activity and the attributes of the kingdom of God in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the first chapter of the autobiography of the church. It's the first chapter. And it sets the tone for how the entire kingdom of God should function. And it's amazing to see it function. It's amazing to see what God did in the church and in the kingdom of God when everything was functioning exactly like it should have in the early days of the church. We think about later on in the book of Acts, we see the the establishment of the church at Ephesus and those amazing things that the Lord did in Ephesus, all that through the the uh centrality of Paul posting up there in Ephesus, everyone in Asia heard the Word of God in less than two years he's putting the temple of Diana out of business he's starting riots because the grave and image business is being totally. Uh, annihilated by the preaching of the gospel. Look, look what was happening in Ephesus, uh, during the first love stage. The first love stage. Well, this is why it's so important that we always keep our priorities straight, that we raise our kids to put the kingdom of God first, and that we extend it to the next generation. Because what happened that first generation? Wow, they 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 heard the gospel for the first time and they forsook all those pagan idols and they shut down the temple of Diana. They shut down the graven image business, not just in Ephesus, but in all of Asia. And what happened 40 years later, roughly a a generation later, roughly one generation later, when he wrote to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, he said, look, you're doing activity-wise all the right things, but you've left your first love. So this book is the first love book. This is what the church looks like in its first love state. It's the first chapter of the autobiography of the kingdom of God. And this is how the kingdom is supposed to function. And it's a beautiful thing to see such a well-oiled machine powered by the Holy Spirit of God functioning in the way that it should. And what I really want to highlight we want to go back and uh, look at specific components of this, but uh, to introduce these thoughts, I want to go through and highlight a few different verses that describe the expansion and the growth and the additions and then later the multiplications of the kingdom of God. I, I re- hope I don't forget uh, this, but one of, the, one of the beautiful pictures here is that the Lord is adding to the church, he's adding to the church, and then it gets to Acts chapter six, and now he's not just adding, he's multiplying. So the growth is expanding even quicker than it was on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people were added to the church. So let's begin here in the book of Acts, and again, I wanna highlight, again, the emphasis of the kingdom of God and the expansion of the kingdom of God and how the Lord used these apostles and these early um, disciples to expand his kingdom. And Jesus was resurrected. He spent 40 days ministering to the church before he went to heaven. And what, I mean, he wanted to use his time wisely, right? What was, according to the Holy Spirit in Scripture, what was the main emphasis of Jesus' teaching during those 40 days before he went back to heaven? Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You've been tell, I've been telling you about these parables that you probably didn't fully understand in the moment, even though I explained them to you, they still didn't even really understand what the kingdom of God was. Because even here in this same conversation, he said, all right, wait here at Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes down. And then they said, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel, right? Are are we finally going to get to overthrow the Romans? Are we finally going to have that governmental civil leader to restore the glory of Solomon's day? Well, they still didn't understand. They still didn't fully understand the scope of the kingdom. Even though they were going to be the agents through which the kingdom of God expanded through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we think about the kingdom expanding and the kingdom growing, we're going to come back to this. But step one, step one, is always waiting on the Holy Ghost, right? I mean, we, we don't have control over the way the Lord sees fit to add to his kingdom. Now, what we can do is we can act in such a way to invite growth for that to be the effect that the Lord uh, will produce if we're doing the things that we ought to in the kingdom. But we can't just manufacture that. We're going to see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. He's the one who adds to the church. He's the one who gives increase. But the way that the Lord gives increase, as Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the way the Lord gives increase is that I planted and Apollos watered. And then, but through the diligence of the people in his kingdom, the Lord honored that by giving increase. But we can't just wake up one day and say, all right, we're going we're to give increase to the church. What do we do? We have to rely on the power of the Holy Ghost to come and to move people and bring people into the kingdom, right? That's step one. Step one is, first of all, understanding the growth in the kingdom is all of, for, and by God. Right? He's the one that gives the increase. And he said, look, you wait on the Holy Ghost, <clears throat> and then when the Holy Ghost comes down in a powerful way, that's when the kingdom will, be, will begin to expand and the kingdom will begin to be advanced. So we find here a little bit later in Acts chapter 1 that there's 120 disciples. Jesus, the Son of God, came and preached in this world. He was died and he was resurrected, and, you know, I always wonder, <clears throat> I always wonder about those people that are referenced in First Corinthians 15 where it says that he, he appeared to all the apostles and he appeared to over 500 men at once. But yet there's only 120 people left when he goes back to heaven. I mean, I, I don't think Jesus wasted his time appearing to 500 men, 380 of them, if you just want to do the difference there. Uh, 380 of them, that were unregenerate. It doesn't make sense to me that during his time uh, of being resurrected, I don't think he went around showing himself to non-elect people. No, th- these were most likely children of God that saw the resurrected Jesus. And I hope, though, if those 380 flaked away, I hope they were there on the day of Pentecost. And they may have, I mean, they, they may have uh, been 10 days late. <laughs> I mean, they may have not accepted the Lord uh, in belief in the way that they, or, or diligence rather, in the way that they should have. Uh, but I hope that those that saw him resurrected on the uh, after his resurrection and that weren't here in this upper room, I hope they join the church on the day of Pentecost. We don't know that. But just 120 people, just 120 people. And as I said, we have to wait on the power of the Holy Ghost to infuse and to energize his kingdom and his servants in his kingdom for the growth of uh, the growth of the church. And that's what we find on the day of Pentecost, right? That's what we find on the day of Pentecost. But one of the most important things, and we're going to deal with this Lord willing more in depth in the future, but we have to understand that the preaching of the gospel is God's ordained means of expanding his kingdom. Okay. And from the Baptist, we present things, and I'm guilty of this too, we always present things in the negative. That we're the knots, right? We, we tell people about everything we don't have. You know, we're the people that do not have musical instruments. We do not have Sunday school. We do not have... Seminaries, we do not have a. We were the knots. We we're not. Don't don't. If I can encourage you, <laughs> as you talk to other people, explain who we are as Primitive Baptists without using the word "not." <laughs> you want to know what we do have? We have the biblical pattern of worship. And just because other people don't understand, it, they don't do it right, don't mean that we have to say, "Well, we don't have unscriptural." No, just tell them what we do have. Try to tell people what we do have without using the word "not." Okay. And in, the, in that same vein, unfortunately, we've become very comfortable with the statement that the gospel does not save people. Mm-hmm. We go around telling people that. The gospel does not save people. Now, what we mean by that, what we mean by that is that the gospel is not the means of regeneration. The gospel is not the means of the new birth. But listen, God's children are saved by the gospel, They're saved by the gospel in the the kingdom. It has no bearing on eternity, but children of God are walking around with, with yokes around their neck and they need to be delivered and saved from that bondage of a work salvation. And we have the message of salvation to save them that believe. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Don't ever tell anyone that we don't believe that you're saved by the gospel. We don't believe you're born again by the gospel. We don't believe you're regenerated by the gospel. And we always have the wrong emphasis. Bless our heart in the Pernod Baptist Church. We we always word things wrong and and have the wrong emphasis. The gospel is God's ordained means of delivering his people, as Paul said, in one of his accounts of his uh, regeneration and then conversion when Jesus spoke to him and gave him his commission, you're a chosen vessel, he said, I have called you to bring them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what happens when a child of God hears the gospel, and there's power in that. It it shuts down pagan temples. It puts graven images out of business. That's what the gospel does. But you want to know the kingdom of God would have never went past 120 people if they were not committed to bold, public preaching of the gospel. All we do in the Primitive Baptist Church typically is we just preach to the sheep on Sunday. And that's good. We, we need that, right? We need to be encouraged. But where would the church be if all they ever did was preach to 120 people in the upper room? I understand I'm asking a you know a foolish question, because obviously the kingdom grew. But what would have happened if the if the, the apostles were not committed to being in a position for God to use them to preach publicly. And we know what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? They preached and and the Holy Spirit came down in a powerful way. They spoke in in tongues that they didn't know. They'd never received formal training in. And 3,000 souls were added to the church. God's pattern for the advancement of the kingdom is bold public preaching by the ministry And personal evangelism by every member of the church. That's God's pattern for advancing his kingdom. Okay? And we've missed on both accounts. It starts with the ministry. It starts with me. And just in the Primitive Baptist Church, we just don't do that. We don't do that. We have to get back to the pattern of the kingdom. And that is bold, public preaching. And public evangelism in personal relationships. Okay. so what was the effect of that <clears throat> which by the way it's my responsibility, it's my calling to preach the gospel and if you do not feel a calling to preach, I understand there's a lot of trepidation and fear to say well I don't have the ability to preach the gospel and to evangelize Well, guess what? Do you think these fishermen had the ability to speak in tongues they didn't know? No. You want to know what they did? They were ready to be used of the Lord and the Lord filled them up in the moment and gave them the right things to say to the right people at the right time and the Lord added to his church by them just being a willing vessel to say, Lord, use me in your kingdom as you see fit. They didn't have the ability to do it. these. weren't They weren't formally trained men, you know. People go to a seminary nowadays, and they tell you how to preach sermons uh, to entice uh, you, the human emotion. So uh, you, you need to structure your sermon in such a way so that you can convert three thousand. These were fishermen; they didn't know any different. What's the difference? The power of the Holy Spirit, right? You just need to be a a vessel that is willing to be used of the Lord. And you'd be surprised how the Lord would use you. You'd be surprised. And you'd be surprised that you say things in the moment that you maybe didn't even know that you knew that well. I mean, it's amazing how the Lord would use his people if you're a, if you're a willing vessel, okay? So don't ever say that I can't do that. I can't. do Through the power of the Holy Ghost, you can do a lot of things, <laughs> that may surprise you. I don't think that, that little bit ragtag group of 12 apostles, they're the people that their enemies said turn the world upside down. That, that group, the, these guys, these unlearned and ignorant men that they were called by their enemies in the Sanhedrin, this group of people, what are you talking about? They haven't even been trained in uh, in the Old Testament Mosaic law like all these uh Now, he ended up bringing bringing in somebody later who had, right, Paul, the Apostle Paul. But these are the guys that turn the world upside down? Well, yeah, because that's who God, God doesn't use the the really uh, skilled people because guess what? They may be tempted or you may be tempted to give them too much credit. Who's he used? The fish, the unlearned and ignorant fishermen. (laughs) So he gets all the glory and he gets all the credit for it, okay? So here on the day of Pentecost, they were committed to bold, public preaching. Look what the Lord did with it. 3,000 people were added to the church. So now you got 3,120 members of the original church, okay? And we've talked, Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 through the end of the chapter. We've talked about these before, and we're going to come back to them. But what is the pattern? What's the pattern? You know, uh, the Lord is blessed in quite a few different areas in the churches and the kingdom of God in America and revivals that the Lord has sent in, in specific concentrated areas. And me and my youth and my ignorance, you know, uh, I've asked some of those ministers and said, what, what are you doing? Like what? The effects that's happening in your church is different than everybody. What's different? What's the secret sauce? I mean, obviously we're not going to add musical instruments. We're not going to like do anything. on But you're doing something, right? I mean, like something's different. You want to know what the answer always is? Acts 2.42. This is it. This is it. It's going back to basics. Listen, if we want the kingdom of God to be strong, all we have to do is read and strive to the best of our ability to model the book of Acts. That's it. That's it. We don't have to come up with something, something fancy to try to entice people. I mean... You just don't understand the way people are nowadays. You've got to get on their level. You've got to meet them where they're at. You want to know what we do? We model the book of Acts. We preach the gospel. These four compo- This is how a church thrives and grows. These four simple tasks. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Those are the four components. It all starts with grace, right? It all starts with the gospel. It all starts with the apostles' doctrine, Jesus' doctrine, and bold public preaching of that, and then not compromising it, remaining steadfast. And the cl- those that you're going to have the closest fellowship with in this life are those, or ought to be, those <coughs> that believe and confess the same gospel of salvation by grace alone that you hold to and confess to. And and I'm thankful that we can have other brothers and sisters in Christ that we can have a degree of fellowship with in the broader kingdom. But we're talking about the church kingdom. And you're going to have an intimacy of fellowship with them that you don't have with the rest of the world. Breaking of bread, bringing people into your home. Other members of the kingdom that we have this constant state of fellowship, and one of the expressions of that constant state of fellowship is we desire to spend time with one another, and it's my joy and privilege to bring you into my home and feed you a meal. And obviously, the observance of communion as well, and then prayers. Uh, I mean, we can't do it ourselves, it has to be the power of the Holy Spirit, it has to be the power of God. So how do we beseech the Lord to bless us? Effectual and fervent prayer, right? Now, what happened? What's the effect? What's the effect? Those four things, what are the seven effects of this? And we're going to come back to this in more detail. But fear came upon every soul. There's a reverence of God. There's a reverence of his word. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now, they did miraculous signs. They were speaking in tongues, they were touching people and they were being healed. I mean, people were being healed by being in the shadow of Peter. People were being healed by just having the handkerchief of Paul around them. Now, we're past the point of those miraculous manifestations of those apostolic gifts for the purpose of establishing the church and establishing who the true apostles were. That was one of the main purposes of God, giving those sign gifts is to distinguish from the false apostles, okay? But in the kingdom of God, there should be some spiritual signs and wonders being done that are evident to the people around us, okay? And that's why we have to have this commitment to preach the gospel publicly and boldly because there should be stories, and I'm I'm thankful there are in the kingdom, but there should be more of them, that... This is who I was. This is who I am now. And the difference is Jesus Christ and the church and the kingdom. Now, now how that was in the the original uh, church many times was like this lame man in Acts chapter 3. I was physically lame on my feet. These people healed me in a physical way. And now I'm leaping and praising, uh, uh, jumping and leaping and praising God. That's what happened in a natural sense. But there should be stories all throughout the church and all throughout the kingdom of this is who I was, this is who I am now, and the only difference is the power of God and the kingdom of God. And that's a powerful testimony. I'll tell you, you have people, I mean, I, we listen, you, should, you grow up in the church, you need to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and I, I pray that we hold every single young person that's ever born in the church and born in the kingdom But if that's all we're getting, if we're just holding our own based on natural posterity, then the kingdom is not advancing in the way that it should, okay? There should be people that are coming from horrible lifestyles of sin that says, this is who I was. This is who I used to, I used to care about all these other things. But I came in contact with the gospel of salvation by grace alone, and now I have true joy in the kingdom. Those, there should be stories like spiritual signs and wonders all throughout the kingdom of God. And, and I'll tell you, the people, <laughs> this is how the kingdom really starts exploding, okay, is people who used to know that person, that wild Gadarene. They knew who he was. They knew who that wild Gadarene was. And he said, look, you go home and you tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. And, and I hope that you've lived a godly enough life that people aren't surprised when the Lord blesses you, okay? And, I, and I'm not telling you, obviously, that you need to go live down in the pig pen just so you can have a radical conversion, obviously. No, you need to be faithful, you need to be godly, serve the Lord, uh, and don't depart from his kingdom. But I'll tell you, there should be spiritual stories of these lame men that they... I, I saw this guy <clears throat> in a natural sense every single day walking up to the temple. I know how bad how bad of a shape he was in. And now I see where he's at. Wow, there must be something different about these guys. You know, when people see that wild Gadareean change and that wild Gadareean goes and says, the only difference... Jesus Christ. The only difference, the only reason I'm not who I used to be is the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the church in the kingdom. Come and see. Well, he's got a testimony that people are going to come and see, right? Because it's radical. It's a radical spiritual sign and wonder. And we should have those kind of stories in the kingdom. Okay? And then you have this amazing generosity. This giving of myself to provide for others. All that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men. As every man had need, they continued daily. I'm really going to emphasize all of the daily activities of the church. You can study this on your own and go all throughout the book of Acts and look every time and use the word daily. Daily. This is not a couple hour a week kingdom. This is a perpetual, everlasting kingdom, okay? This is a daily kingdom. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and said, Boy, they were happy and they were in unity, singleness of heart. There also won't be amazing growth in the kingdom if the church is fractured and divided. There has to be unity, singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. You know, there were some some Jews that no doubt didn't like them, but they couldn't speak evil against them because all they were doing was good stuff. They had a good reputation in the community. And look, that was the environment. They did those four things. You see the, the seven effects right there. And then, in that environment, what is the natural expression of us just doing what we ought to do in the kingdom? What's the natural effect of that? What's the natural effect? The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Okay? Why did the Lord add to the church daily? Look at all the stuff they were doing daily. Right? I mean... There is something that is powerful about what the Holy Ghost has to do in the kingdom, but there's also a principle that we reap what we sow, right? I mean, if they didn't do these things daily, why would they expect the Lord to add to the church daily, right? But they did all these things, and God honored their commitment in the kingdom by adding to the church daily. Then you have this healing of the lame man, and then so many people— Knew this lame man, and they're like, What? How in the world is he running around? And again, there's so much more to this. There's no physical way that outside of the power of God, that a person who never walked could even walk normally when he was healed, let alone be jumping up and down. You have muscle atrophy. I mean, there's just no way in a natural medical sense that this could happen. It's one thing for him to be healed, but he's not going through therapy for six months and doing better after six months. No, immediately. And it was such a radical sign and wonder that everyone was like, wow, we got to listen to these guys. I mean, something's different about these guys. So then they they had this huge crowd, this huge audience, and Peter just preaches the gospel, right? I mean, Jesus is the Christ. And he... (laughs) These first few messages, now it was necessary during this time, no doubt, okay, because there were some people that joined the church, no doubt, in these groups that were ignorant, deceived by their leaders, and they were, unbeknownst to them and not understanding what they were saying, crying with the mob, crucify, crucify him, okay? There, There were children of God that were deceived by the mob, and they were just chanting what everybody else was chanting, so Jesus, I mean, so Peter looks at these people and said, this man that you have crucified, he is both Lord and Christ. Okay. Now, these messages were direct, maybe a little harsh, but that was what was necessary for this group of people in this time. Okay. Because there were probably some people there that, again, were deceived by the mob and they were just chanting, crucify him because they didn't know any different. And then you have this man that tells them that this is the Messiah you've been looking for the whole time. And they said, Lord, please forgive me. Let me join the church and be baptized to wash away the remission of sins in my, own, in my own eyes because of my conviction of that, okay? <clears throat> so they have this audience and Peter, again, What's the hallmarks of growth in the kingdom? Bold, public preaching. Public preaching. Peter has this audience. He preaches boldly. And another hallmark, another hallmark of a expanding, healthy, growing kingdom is persecution. Okay? And, and we, just, we just need to understand that. If we desire... For the church to grow, if we desire for the kingdom to be advanced, there will be sacrifices that we have to make. Now, praise God in America, we've been so insulated. Those sacrifices may just be someone ridiculing and mocking you at the break room at work. You know, maybe, maybe you lose a job. Maybe you miss a promotion, you know. But we haven't had to sacrifice too much for the kingdom. We haven't. So therefore, the kingdom doesn't mean as much to us. It just doesn't. Because the more you sacrifice, the more it means to you. Okay? So I want you to understand, when we pray for God to bless the church, when we pray for God to advance the kingdom, we're saying, Lord, <laughs> give me the opportunity to sacrifice for you. And part of that sacrifice is going to be some degree of persecution now praise God in America at this time it's not very much it's not very much but I tell you the more the kingdom expands the more the kingdom grows now all of a sudden you know if this is just a couple people well we'll just let them do their own thing you know we'll try to silence them we'll throw them in prison a little bit but they're not really affecting too many people <laughs> What happened when they went to Ephesus and started shutting down the graven image industry? Right? I mean, if it's growing and expanding the way that it should, you're going to cause a lot of ripple effects. So if we desire for the kingdom to grow, you've got to be willing to sacrifice something for the kingdom. You have to. Because a growing, thriving kingdom always, (laughs) if the light is being shined brightly, the darkness is going to hate it. That's just the natural disposition of this world, okay? Now, one option that you have, which is dishonoring to God, to kind of shelter yourself from the persecution of that darkness, you can cover up your light a little bit, right? You can put it under a bushel a little bit, and that'll, that'll save you from a little bit of the uncomfortableness of having to deal with people that are in darkness, but that's not what God's called us to do, right? If you shine your light bright, there's gonna be some people in darkness that don't like it. It's just the way it is, okay? So you, we have to be, willing to sacrifice for the kingdom because what happens (laughs) boy i love this as they are they, they they stand up they boldly preach the gospel this person that you crucify is both lord and christ the wicked rulers are trying to silence them and as they are dragging i think it was peter and john in this instance as they're dragging peter and john to jail there's still 10 apostles left And there's 5,000 men that come up to those 10 apostles and say, we want to join the church. (coughs) That's what happens in the kingdom, okay? 5,000 people heard this preaching and the apostles were willing to sacrifice their own comfort so the kingdom and the gospel could be advanced. And as they are being hauled off to prison, 5,000 people come up and say, we want to join the church, be baptized. Okay, now they're thrown in prison. They threaten them. And this is the first persecution that the church is encountering. And the church's first response, the church's response to persecution is to pray, to pray. Acts chapter four, verse 23. They were let go. They went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up, their voice to God with one accord. Again, you see the unity in the church. And they had a prayer meeting because there was a special need, a special need. And we all need to be praying without ceasing, but there should be natural prayer meetings just popping up because of the need. And we don't do that. We don't do that. We should see a great need and there should be four or five. I mean, is there a great need in the kingdom? There should be just naturally organically because of our desire to petition God for blessings in this arena, there should be natural prayer meetings popping up five, six times a year. You know, we don't, we don't say, oh, we're gonna have it this Sunday and this Sunday and this Sunday. No, there's a great need and the church comes together in unity to say, Lord, please bless us in the midst of this need. And they pray for boldness. The Lord answers them with an earthquake. I'll tell you, the Lord listens to the prayers of his people, Okay especially, especially when the church meets together in unity, not to pray, Lord, please bless us to stay out of prison. You know what the church said? Give us boldness. Our desire is the gospel to be preached and the kingdom to be advanced, not for us to continue to be comfortable. They didn't say, Lord, please keep us out of prison. They said, if we go to prison, that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the advancement of the kingdom. Lord, and we know our natural tendency is to get a little nervous, to get a little afraid, and be afraid to do that. So, Lord, purge out that fear and give us boldness. And what happened? Guess what? They prayed for boldness. God gave them boldness. Look at what happened. Verse 32. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And I'll tell you, when you go go through trials, okay, when you go through persecution, it knits you together with that person in a way that you don't, you don't get when you're just slapping each other on the back and everything, everything's hunky-dory, okay? The church grows together in unity when you're dealing with problems and persecution together. You want to know, again, you want to pray for unity in the church? You want to know one way that we get unity? Trouble. Trouble. That's how we get unity in the church. And we all respond appropriately. The multitude of them believe were one heart and one soul. And then you have this amazing expression of willingness to sacrifice for the kingdom that I'm gonna give, I'm gonna sell my land because I see my brother. You know, I have extra. (laughs) I have that that vacation home. I have this extra money uh, that's set aside for some, some thing that I've been planning for. And I see a brother in Christ that joined the church, that lost his business, that can't provide for his five children because he's putting the kingdom first, and he can't. He lost, he had a successful business, and now he can't provide for his family. I have a desire to give up of my extra to provide for my brother in the kingdom that can't provide for his family. And that, boy, that happens when you have this unity in the church, don't you? Why? Because you love one another. You love the kingdom. You love the other people in the That's what starts happening, okay? All right. um, You have this amazing expression of gratitude and generosity and caring for others. Then you have the issue with Ananias and Sapphira in the middle of all that. Then you have more signs and wonders and miraculous healings. I want to highlight a few things. We see 3,000 people were added to the church on the day of Pentecost. The Lord added to the church daily such as it should be saved, 2 and 47. You have 4,000 or 5,000 men. That was just the men. I'm sure some women showed up, okay? So just 5,000 men joined that were added to the church. Then Acts chapter 5 and verse 14, the believers were the more added. So now you, the Lord's still adding. He's adding daily. He's, he's the, but now it's, he's not just adding. He's adding the more <laughs> Okay, then you get to Acts chapter 6, and you have the church is committed to providing for the needs of the disadvantaged widows that can't provide for themselves. Again, you have this amazing outpouring of generosity before the days of uh, government intervention. How were the widows and and people taken care of? It was either by family or by the church's generosity. That's it. That's it. Okay. Okay. So they were providing for the widow. They were investing in their community of the disadvantaged. And it says here in Acts chapter six and in verse one, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. All right. So look what's happened when just the Lord is adding. All right. He's adding 3,000 people at one time. He's adding, excuse me, 5,000 men at one time. He's just adding. What happens when you start multiplying? Right. 10 plus 10 is 20, but 10 times 10 is 100. And I can just, I, there's really no telling. There is no telling how many people are, are being added to the church. I mean, thousands upon thousands. And you also have taken, take into account that this is saying that the number of disciples was multiplied in their perspective. And they're used to 3,000 people being added. All right, so what do you think their definition of multiplication is? <laughs> I mean it's really just it's amazing to you know mind boggling to think about okay um we'll come back to this and deal with this more in depth, but you have but you have the the widows that are being taken care of and the the men that are called to preach they say listen this is a this is a worthy work it needs to be done, but we're doing too much we're allocating too much of our time to just Passing out bread. Because our calling is to preach the gospel. We are spending too much time just passing out bread, so we appoint deacons. You take care of these widow. You take care of this. And we will give ourselves, verse 4 of Acts chapter 6, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. One of the most important aspects of a thriving kingdom is a full-time, fully committed ministry. I didn't read back in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. They taught daily in the temple and in every house. They taught publicly and privately. They ceased not to teach and preach. And I pray that God would bless the kingdom so abundantly that every single church was able to have and and support financially a full-time ministry. And you want to know what we also see in the book of Acts? The biblical pattern is a plurality of elders in the same church. Now, unfortunately, we're just so anemic and malnourished in the kingdom today, we don't have enough preachers to even serve the churches that are there. But the biblical pattern is that there are multiple ordained ministers fully invested in the church. Why? Because there's so much need. I mean, if the church is growing like this, you can't go work 40 hours a week somewhere. You can't. You can't. And guess what? If the church is growing like this, you have this amazing outpouring of generosity, there's going to be more than enough finances to provide for all these people. You see? You see how all this, the Lord just takes care of all this. He just interweaves all this together. And look what happens when they commit to this and look the church was already doing amazing things right but then when they say we're going to appoint deacons you take care of this daily business because we need to spend our time preaching the gospel studying the word and praying look what happens look what happens verse seven the word of god increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in jerusalem multiply okay and a great company of the priests were obedient to faith. We we need to be prayer. Another aspect of a of thriving kingdom is that there are there are men everywhere Paul showed up, not only did he baptize people, but they ordained elders and deacons in every single city. Everywhere he showed up, not only did he baptize people, he ordained preachers in every single city. And I hope that God raises up men among the primitive Baptists. But you want to know where some of the best preachers are. You want to know where some of the best primitive Baptist preachers are currently residing at? In other denominations. Now what happened when the hands of the ministry was relieved a little bit where now we can preach publicly, we can interact with some of these priests? What happened? Those priests got converted. And those priests were now preachers in the kingdom of God. And I'm thankful we've had a few of them recently, people that that were in other denominations for a period of time and they, they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, God had already, already called them to preach. And some of the best ministers that we have in the kingdom started out somewhere else, okay? That's what the Lord does when we free the hands of the ministry and we commit to doing things in God's pattern. I'll tell you, the book of Acts is so exciting, right? It is just jumping off the page, and we always want to bemoan the good old days, right? For some reason, we think the good old days is 1920s America uh, during the Great Depression. Listen, these are the good old days. (laughs) This is the good old days of the kingdom of God, okay? And there are so many aspects of the kingdom of God and how it's supposed to function that we see so beautifully exhibited here in the book of Acts, the church was in its first love state. And I pray that God will bless us in the coming weeks to examine that so we can see what we need to do our best by the power of the Holy Spirit to strive towards. Because I'll tell you, the kingdom's not dead. The kingdom is not going to die until Jesus' second coming. The church is not going to be quenched. There's no reason why it has to be malnourished. There's no reason why it's got to be weak. There's no reason why. We have the pattern. The only thing we have to do is just follow the pattern, right? All we have to do is just get back to basics. And that is given to us so clearly in the book of Acts, and we pray that God will bless our consideration of that and that he will advance, advance his kingdom by the power of his Holy Spirit according to his will. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.